Thank you. Introductions are always so, I don't know, awkward. <laughs> I don't want to say anything too, too big or grandiose. Actually, I feel that this morning. Just as we were singing, I was just, uh, I don't know which song it was, but just myself praying, thanking God for His grace, because I have... N- There's nothing about me that makes me any more worthy to stand up here than any of us, right? It's just God's call, God's grace. And so I pray that today we'd know His grace. Um, It's an honor to be with you. I've been here once before. I was here on the, I think, the smallest Sunday of the year, which is that transition after Christmas before the new year starts. And you guys do one service and still only maybe half of the room is here. People are off doing things and recovering and, I don't know, boxing up stuff or whatever. Um, But that was my only Sunday here, so it's good to be back. My wife and kids are going to come for the second service. Um, I want to say something before I start that you all know, but I'll just say it. Um, You have a great pastor in Derwin, an angel, and you know it. Um, I give that to you. It's true. Uh, Not all pastors are great. And Derwin, I, I, as he said, I have known him from a distance for a number of years through Jenny, and then more recently, we spent some time together. And every time I walk away from talking to you or being with you, I feel encouraged, I feel blessed, I feel thankful to know uh, and hear his heart for you as his church, for his family that he adores and cheers on, and just for what God is doing. And so it's been, I'm very thankful for knowing you. There you go. Bless you. They are done. Um, what he didn't say is I'm a pastor in transition right now. I wrapped up with my church uh, back in the fall, in October, and, and my family, we are in one of those seasons where the future uh, feels unclear. And there are days where it's exciting, and there are a lot of days where it's hard. Um, I was praying for my kids this morning as they're going to come here uh, for the second service and one of those Sundays where they walk into a room and they don't know the other kids. And uh, we've been trying to be regular at a church just down the road from us, another hillside on the North Shore, and that's been awesome this last season as we pray about and I explore kind of what God has for us and things are emerging, but it's it's a unique, challenging season for us. So you can pray for my kids today that they would know Christ here in the midst of a bunch of kids they don't know. Um, as Derwin said, last Sunday it wasn't just an Easter message. It was also the beginning of a seven-part series on Jesus' I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life he took you into last week. I am the bread of life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. I'm the light of the world, not in that order. And this morning... We're going to lean into John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Um, If you have a Bible with you, I hope you do. Um, If you don't, there's a stack back there. Um, You're welcome to grab one. Uh, It's a good thing to bring a Bible to church. Uh, Where else are you going to bring a Bible? At least to church, hey? So feel free to crack it open or open up your smartphone app or whatever. But John 14. Um, Over the years, I can think of a number of conversations with often uh, skeptical boyfriends uh, or neighbors, um, not my boyfriends, but boyfriends of young women in the churches I've served, um, who've thrown out the suggestion that Jesus never claimed to be God, 
that that's just something that we, the church, have imposed on Jesus, something that we have made up and built around him. And there's some reason to, to think that, especially if you read the Gospels that, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you often find Jesus sidestepping the, the inevitable questions about his identity, right? There's this kind of secrecy where Jesus is often kind of pushing away from the identity claims of his contemporaries. But in the Gospel of John, we have this window, this vantage point into the life and the teaching of Jesus. And there we find Jesus is not vague at all about who he is. He makes bold claims. The boldest claims imaginable about himself. Claims so bold that ultimately got him killed, crucified. Claims so bold that if true, placed Jesus at the center of all of history, all of life, all things, the one who alone is worthy of all of our trust and our affection and our hope, our allegiance, claims that if false, should cast him from history, which hasn't happened, has it? But these claims, these statements, uh, these I am statements of Jesus in John's gospel aren't just truths that we need to have written on our wall or put on a pincushion in our house. They are revelations of who Jesus is. They are glimpses, invitations into the gospel itself, into the incredible good news of who Jesus is and what God is up to in the world through him. That's what I hope we'll hear this morning as we enter into John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I wanted to stop here and pray as we begin into this. Jesus, living God, Father, Holy Spirit, we come as a community longing to hear your voice through your word. And so we bow to you. We confess together that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's by your word that the world was created. It's by your word that we, you have made known yourself to us. It's by your word that you breathe upon us, your spirit today, and draw us into your life. There's a lot of words that spin around us and even within us that need to be cast out today. So we just bow to you and ask that by your spirit you would speak by your spirit, you would give us ears to hear your voice, words that would mean life for us today. And we pray not just for ourselves, but we pray for the women and men sitting beside us, behind us and around us, who, like us, need to hear your voice today. So breathe upon us as a community today and cause us to hear your life-giving word. Amen. Um, of all the I am statements, maybe of all the statements, I think this has got to be one of the most famous things Jesus ever said. Is it not? And yet it often kind of floats out there on its own. Or maybe at the most in reference, along with the reference that comes after it, the end of the verse. I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me, right? We know this. And yet it kind of floats in the middle of nowhere often, right? What's the context of this? I, I'll be honest, before studying for this morning, I don't think I could have told you where this came from. I knew where it was in the Bible. You can check that off for me. I could say John 14, 6. I knew that. But I had never really thought about where this comes in the midst of the story. And yet over the last few weeks, as I've lived with this verse, prayed, studied for your sake, as well as for mine, I've come to see how much this simple verse doesn't float in the middle of nowhere, but actually opens up for us the whole of John 14. A chapter that begins not with, I am the way and the truth and the life, but begins with the simple words, don't let your hearts be troubled. John 14, verse 1, don't let your hearts be troubled. As we'll see, John 14, 6 is ultimately Jesus' answer, his remedy to troubled hearts, but he doesn't start with the answer. He starts where many of us are. He starts by acknowledging the disciples' pain, their fear, their ache, their understandable confusion and anxiety, their troubled hearts which I'm sure many of us know something of. Some of us walk in today. Some of us weren't sure if we wanted to walk in today because of what's going on inside of us. This experience might feel, could feel pretty real for many of us. It does at some point for all of us. Before we unearth the stuff of our hearts, let's start by exploring why the disciples found themselves with their hearts troubled. If you glance back one chapter, we discovered that John 14 comes right after Jesus has shared the Last Supper with his disciples, a Passover feast they would never forget. Many of us are probably familiar with the Passover feast, but if you're not, it's a feast, one of the three significant moments in the life of the Israelite community where they would gather together to celebrate this moment in their history, chronicled in the book of Exodus, where their God broke into human history when they found themselves oppressed in Egypt to deliver them, to claim them as his own. It's this moment they would never forget that they constantly, and especially at this feast, would call their minds back to that this is their story because this is their God, this is what he has done. He has broken in, he has heard their cries, and he has come. Centuries ago he came, he broke in, he claimed them as his own. And each time they'd come to celebrate this feast, they wouldn't just remember, but they'd find themselves stirred up with hope again. With hope, with excitement, with longing, with expectation for God to do it again. For God to come again. To break in again. To bring deliverance and rescue the kingdom in a great and a final way. And yet by the end of this great, beautiful, inspiring Encouraging holy meal with Jesus, the disciples found themselves heavy-hearted. Their hearts troubled because of a number of things that Jesus revealed, announced at this meal, in the midst of it. First of all, there was an announcement during the meal that one of them would betray Jesus. John 13, verse 21, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, One of you is going to betray me. 
Can you imagine? That alone must have cut them to the heart, to know that one of them, one of their very own, their band of brothers with whom they'd shared so much life, one of Jesus' closest companions would betray Jesus in the coming hours. They might have all felt betrayed. Imagine your elders at a meeting this week gathering together and Derwin saying, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. My goodness, the air would just suck out of the room, wouldn't it? The pain, the fear, the confusion, the sense of betrayal from one of our own. And then, moments later, after Judas has slipped away from the table into the night, seemingly not noticed by the disciples, Jesus announces that he will be with them only a little longer. John 13, verse 33, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I am going, you cannot come. Again, and even more so, their heads, their hearts must have spun, sunk. Imagine. How could this be? How could they continue on without Jesus? It must have made no sense to them, even though he had made hints about it a number of times that they never seemed to get. And yet here he says it so clearly to them. Again, it may have felt like a betrayal in a sense to them. Jesus, how could you leave us now? And then, as if all that wasn't enough, after Peter, in response to Jesus saying, I'll go away, Bolt made this bold vow that he would stick close to Jesus. He would even lay down his life for Jesus. Jesus announces that Peter, who's a bit of the ringleader of them, that Peter himself will actually deny Jesus three times before this very night is out. No wonder the disciples are troubled, right? The last few years with Jesus had all been leading forward to what they expected to be this grand, beautiful uprising, God breaking in, the kingdom coming in some way. It felt like the momentum was just growing and growing, and now, and now it felt like everything's shifting. Everything's turn, being turned upside down. Everything's falling apart in the course of a meal. And yet Jesus still has these expectations of them. In the midst of the meal, he even gives them a new commandment. He doesn't say, okay, listen, things are changing. We're going to dial down the expectations. No, he actually gives them a new commandment to love one another as he has loved them. The stakes are high. That they would continue on with the things that they learned from him, that they would continue to proclaim and reveal the gospel to the watching world. But now without him, no wonder their hearts were troubled. It all probably seemed like way too much. And all at once, in the midst of a meal. And yet in John 14, verse 1, knowing all of this, right? Because Jesus did. Knowing all of this, knowing what was spinning and stirring inside of them, Jesus says to them these words that sometimes feel so impossible. Don't let your hearts be troubled which is an interesting thing for Jesus to say since we're told that even he experienced a troubled heart in the midst of things, in the midst of this. Just a few verses back in John 13, verse 21, when Jesus revealed that one of them would betray him, we're told that Jesus was troubled 
in spirit. Jesus was. Which tells us that we don't need to be ashamed of having a troubled heart at times. If you came in today with a troubled heart, you don't need to hide it because Christians always feel pure joy, always are quick to raise their hands and jump in singing with Lincoln. No. It's understandable. It's to be expected. And not just for those who don't know Christ, but for those who do. In a way, it's a sign of health to be able to feel brokenness for what is broken. Jesus did. To ache for, to ache over what is not the way it's supposed to be in a community, in a family, in the world, in ourselves. Jesus was troubled in spirit. And yet in John 14, verse 1, Jesus invites the disciples to find comfort for their troubled hearts. And as he always does, he explains why. He doesn't just say, don't be troubled. He explains why they don't need to. Why they can find hope and comfort. Why his leaving would actually ultimately result in their great comfort and their great joy. If you actually track with John 14, what begins with Jesus speaking to their troubled hearts points ultimately, the upper room discourse points ultimately towards incredible joy that God will bring to his people. Because as Jesus famously says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Listen with me to John 14, verse 1 and following. I'm reading from the NIV. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Be- believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's just stop there. Let me ask this simple question. Where is Jesus going? He's going to the Father. Let's not get confused by the reference to mansions or rooms or houses. He's very explicit. He's going to the Father. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And because Jesus is going to the Father through the cross, Jesus' disciples and you and I can go to the Father can come to the Father, can know the Father, Jesus' Father, as our Father. That is why Jesus is going away. So the Apostle Paul would ultimately say in Ephesians 2, verse 6, for through him, through Jesus, because he is the way, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. This is why Jesus going away didn't need to disquiet their souls to trouble their hearts, because Jesus going away meant and means that we can come home to the Father, and not just to the Father's house after we die, but to the Father himself through Christ today, 
That's what we learn here, that Jesus is the way not just at the end, but now. He is the way to the Father while we are on the way, in the midst of our story. This is the gospel, right? That in his death, in Jesus going away to the cross, he died for us to take our sin, the sin that keeps us separate from God, that cuts us off, that keeps us alienated from our Father. And he bore it at the cross for us that now through him we can come home, be forgiven, be reconciled to the Father. So now Jesus' Father becomes our Father which is no abstract, irrelevant matter, is it? I feel this these days. I have felt the gift of this. This week, a few days ago, I sat on my front steps in North Van at a home that I soon will not be able to pay my own mortgage on, wondering where my life is going, wondering how the pieces are going to come together and tempted to fear Tempted to fear that I am simply adrift. That I am somehow lost in the shuffle. Forgotten. Lost in the cosmos. A maker of my own destiny, and it's led me here. Not to Hillside this morning, but to a season of not knowing what's coming. And then I hear the gospel, that I'm not adrift, that I'm not lost, that I'm no orphan because Jesus' Father is my Father. Because Jesus is the way, I'm already home in the embrace and the care of my Father through Jesus today. But wait a second, can I trust this Father? Can you? Can you trust the Father with your life, with your kids, or your parents, or your friends, your story? Do we really want the Father to be our Father? Would we want to be under His care? If you listen to Jesus, I think the answer is yes. What, without a doubt, yes. Why? How can we say that? How can we know that? Because of what Jesus says in John 14, 6. I am the way, and I am the truth. Which means that just as Jesus is the way to the Father, He is the truth of the Father to us. In referencing Himself as a truth, Jesus is not talking about some abstract, ethereal, philosophical truth. He's telling us that He is Himself the truth, the true revelation of the Father, of God to us. Listen to his words. Let me read John 14, 6. That's the part I have memorized, so I don't need to look, but I will keep going. Uh, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you'll know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip says... Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answers, don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the words themselves. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying that every word that comes from his lips is a revelation of the Father. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those are not just Jesus' words. That is a revelation of the Father. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Every word from the lips of Jesus is a revelation of the Father. Every action, every invitation, every self-revelation is a revelation of the Father. And not just through his words and his actions, though that itself is beautiful, but through the cross. In his going away, right? To the horror of the cross, Jesus is revealing the Father to us like nothing else ever could. The glory of the Father, the justice of the Father, the holy, perfect, abundant, gracious love of the Father. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 5 verse 8, God demonstrates, that is God reveals, God puts on display, makes evident his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us at the cross and the sacrificial death of Jesus for sinners like you and like me, the Father's holy love is put on display, made known, revealed to all like never before. I am the way and the truth. Again, this is no abstract, irrelevant matter, is it? This knowledge of God revealed in Christ in his life and ministry, but above all in his death, is an anchor to our hearts and our minds and our souls as we all walk through times of troubled hearts, as we all walk through the trials and travails of our lives. I had someone say to me not that long ago, he said, I, I don't want to be trite. It can sound trite sometimes, but thank goodness for that God is sovereign and that we know God's character. And I said, there's nothing trite about that. When we walk through times of trial, we cling to our knowledge of who God is in the face of Christ. As I've said, my family's going through this season, that it is hard at times. And the amount of people, Christians and non-Christians alike, some of my neighbors, who said to me or to my wife at some point, oh, I'm sure it just means that something even better is just around the corner. We've all heard that. Maybe we've said it. And every time I hear it, I kind of give an awkward smile, <laughs> um, wishing it was true, and yet thankful that I have something better than just karma, better than just what goes around comes around, what goes down will come up, an abstract, impersonal force in the universe that somehow fixes things. No, I've been through enough in my 38 years. I've walked alongside of... A, others through enough to know that life doesn't always just turn around and get better and get easier quickly. There can be many crosses in our lives. Bruce Milne, a longtime pastor of First Baptist downtown, 
He once said it this way. He said, life at times does not appear to make discernible sense. The vastness of the universe at times oppresses us. The seemingly impersonal cycle of nature evidences no master plan at times. The story of humanity rolls on generation after generation with little apparent meaning at the heart of it all. In our personal lives, unexpected happenings break in unbidden, sometimes cruelly, and we find ourselves lisping the verdict of Macbeth, life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I'm glad Macbeth is not my neighbor. <laughs> I guess I'd rather have people say sometimes. Anyways, in such moods, uh, Bruce Milne says, in such moods we cry out from our troubled hearts for some word from beyond to reassure us that there is meaning, that a heart of love still beats behind the cold indifference and arbitrariness of things. In the grace of God, that word has come, has it not? In the grace of God, that word from beyond has come, the, and that word is Jesus. Because Jesus is the truth, we know that there is a heart of love that beats at the center of a universe that at times does not make sense to us. In the grace of God, because Jesus is the truth, I know that I am walking through my trials and travails in the sovereign, intimate, active care of a God who is not indifferent or unaffected or cold or callous or cruel, but who is utterly and perfectly gracious and faithful and loving and good because Jesus is the face and the revelation of God to us. And above all, we know this because Jesus went away. Because he didn't just stick around because the disciples felt like they needed him close, but he was willing in his love to go away to the cross for us and for all to do something about the sin and the brokenness and the curse that we feel, to do something that ultimately will put an end to sin and the curse. And that something that he has done is to give himself, the God of the universe, to give himself for us. Because Jesus is the truth, we can know that God can be trusted in and through everything. All this because Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. I gotta say, I am so thankful that Jesus does not stop <laughs> with just saying that he is the truth. Because in the end, it's not enough. In the end, we can't do it. In the end, we can't do what Jesus calls us to do and be. We can't follow his way and love like he loves and forgive like he forgives and trust and obey the Father like he does. We can't, not without his life breath breathing in us. His very life alive in us. And in his grace, in his going away, this is exactly what Jesus gives to us. It's amazing. Ultimately, this is where Jesus goes in John 14, but we hear it first in verse 6 when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Whenever Jesus speaks of the life, he's speaking of the life of God, the life of God now given to the world. In verse 16 of 
John 14, Jesus picks up on this theme and dives deep into it. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This, this, these words do not come in the midst of nothing. They come right after Jesus said, I am going away, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, Because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. You hear it? Yeah, you do. In the grace of God, because Jesus is the life. We don't have to just get up and head out of here and try to do our best, even though we know our best isn't good enough. No, Jesus gives us his spirit, his very life breath, the spirit that animated him, the very power of God to live in us, to cause us to know the Father is our Father, right? That's what Paul says in Romans. By the Spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Not just, oh, impersonal, distant God, but Abba, Father. The Spirit causes us to know the Father is our Father. The Spirit who causes us to know the Father in the face of Christ, to receive the revelation of God. The Spirit who comes to teach and to lead and to empower us to live in the way of Jesus to trust and obey the Father in the big and the little matters of our lives, in our relationships, in our responsibilities, in our sexuality and bodily desires, in our defining moments in our everyday lives. Because Jesus is the life. We too can live the life that Christ calls us to by the Spirit He gives us, the Spirit who comes to live in us. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life for you. Don't let your heart be troubled. So what about you today and me? Is your heart troubled with fear that you are lost in the cosmos, that you are adrift and alone, cut off from God, with no hope. Jesus says, come, come to me. Come to me for I am the way. I've gone to the cross for you that I might bring you now to the Father. I am the way, the way home to the Father's embrace. Come to me. Or is your heart troubled with fear? Fear of God. Maybe you wouldn't say it, but you know it. Fear of God, uncertainty that God can be trusted with you, with the world, with your life, your needs, your future. Again, hear Jesus today saying, come, come to me, for I am the truth of the Father. Look to me and know the Father. Know that the Father is more loving, more just, more gracious and compassionate and good and faithful and trustworthy than you ever could have imagined. Come to me, Jesus says. Or is your heart troubled with what feels like the impossible demands, expectations, 
of following Jesus? Is your heart troubled with the fear that you don't have what it takes? Hear Jesus again today saying, come to me and I will give you my spirit. Come to me for I am the life and I give my life to you. Not just for you at the cross, but to you in the life of the Spirit. This is the gospel. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, for I am the way and the truth and the life. Let's, let's pray.